Hello, extra time. Point to the league, not to get a hold because it, it damages your reputation. It, it makes people, when they read it, just laugh at you. Two o'clock, they're playing in the league one, and they're playing in Europe, and they're playing in the game in this country. Maybe we should get to the manager You're very welcome along to the extra time.ie sportscast. It's lovely to be back. We never intended to be away this long, so uh, apologies for that in advance. I'm joined, as always, in studio by Dave Donnelly. How's it going, Nick? Not too bad. We do have a cracking show for you this week. We're joined by the Bray People's uh, Daniel Gorman. Going to go through all of the action that's happening at Bray and what we can expect this season. And we'll speak to Indy 11 striker Eamon Zaid about his uh, fascinating time in Libya, amongst other things. You can get us on at ET Sportscast on Twitter, extra time live at gmail.com to send us in an email or Facebook, extra time news. Um, you got it all that I time. Did, yeah, well, I've, I've been away prepping, I've had my pre season. Uh, yeah, we didn't intend to be away as long as I mentioned, so apologies for that. It proves uh, quite difficult over the Christmas periods to tie down guests, studios, and uh, indeed hosts. So it's, it was couple of weeks off more than we intended but uh, over the next couple of weeks we will have shows every single week for you so uh, looking forward to bringing that into the new season so do uh, do keep an eye out for all of the new episodes dropping every Wednesday every Wednesday a new at ET Sportscast every Wednesday yeah so Dave loads to sort of get stuck into while we have the um the, the sort of build up to the preseason that we kind of missed out on a fair bit of it um, and I'm going to be totally biased and make us start off with Limerick Tommy Barrett in there and Limerick in a little bit of trouble particularly with not really it's, it's hard for us to say because they don't really have a squad do they? Yeah well I suppose it was uh, it was unexpected Neil McDonald leaving to take up this, the assistant manager job at Scunthorpe which is I think most people probably think it's I don't think it's a movie would have made if he if he didn't have a good reason to make it. I think it's been kind of widely rumored that uh, the the budget has been reduced this year and he hasn't re- he hasn't really been able to bring in the players that he would have liked to bring in. So uh, I guess maybe it suits both parties to 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 cut ties. But uh, yeah, Tommy Barrett obviously has uh, played for the club. He's an experienced uh, Premier Division man. He's uh, he's been coaching the under 19s for a few years there. He's um, I suppose uh, from a continuity point of view, it's a good player to bring in, particularly as. Uh, Limerick would have been looking to promote through the through the youth system, like to call them O'Loughlin. They made a, a couple of appearances last season, so uh, yeah, I, I think there's probably you know it's a bit of a risk in terms of a first job for him. But uh, I think the bigger the bigger risk is the is the squad and the fact that they've only got the guts of the guts of a, a starting team at the moment. Looking back, I know we're lucky enough to have the sort of hindsight. Um, was there any point in sacking Russell, getting him in uh, for probably decent money, and now being in this situation? Does that it, it all looks all smacks a bit of replacing Russell with a big name? Remember, Roy Keane was moved, and they did, I think, approach Roy mm-hmm. Keane, if I'm not mistaken. But did it all prove a little bit futile? Was it all a bit pointless because McDonald, is, as like I'm not saying he didn't offer much to the club hasn't worked out as a long-term plan, hasn't worked out short-term in terms of improving maybe styles of football or, or relative league position. Would it have been better off to stick with Russell with what they know and, and give him a go? Uh, that's what I would have thought when Russell was uh, originally sacked. But uh, kind of everyone I've talked to that kind of closely follows the club, they seem to have all been the same opinion that uh, things have become a bit stagnant under Martin Russell. They were, they were playing a playing a certain way Martin Russell's way which maybe wasn't conducive to uh, getting the best out of the players that he had at his disposal and the, that the sort of players that Limerick could attract uh, being a club kind of a provincial club that maybe it doesn't have the same lure as Cork City or a Dublin team or Dundalk so um, I don't know it, 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 in hindsight maybe they will regret it but uh, look they've got, a, they've got a young manager now who has a lot to prove uh, they will have no shortage of, of love for the club won't, won't, won't be found wanting in terms of effort anyway so uh, it'll be interesting to see, I think the main thing, the main thing that will really concern Limerick over the over the next few weeks is getting in enough senior players that they can really, you know, put up a good front next season. Yeah, and we'll be able to comment further on it when they do. Let's go to a team that's probably easily comparable, and we will put it to Daniel Gorman a bit later on about uh, these two teams and their similarities, I suppose. But uh, Dave. Uh, I keep going to say Dave Mackay with a, a continental flair, but Dave Mackey mm. in uh, Bray um, smacks again of of maybe just. Not to put Dave Mackey down, but he wouldn't have been number one choice, I don't think, when Harry Kenny initially left. So uh, I think there's plenty to draw in and compare there with Limerick and to worry Bray fans. Yeah, there's a certain symmetry there, but uh, yeah, I think uh, probably any any club wants to bring in a, a manager with a track record of kind of managing at this level, but uh, obviously needs must. And they they brought in Mackey, and he's by all accounts a very experienced and very good coach, and uh, he's he's 
the the main thing is he, he's convinced a lot of last year's squad some of the top performers and that that squad like Gary McCabe and Connor Kenna the the captain to, to sign up again so that that's a real positive and if if they can take that into next season then um, you know that they really have a chance of uh, avoiding relegation as as Bray tend to do yeah I suppose uh, I'm going to count I'm going to play devil's advocate and go counterpoint my own point here in a way but is it probably a good thing for the league to try and develop coaches like this mind you maybe some of the the current uh, people are talking about wouldn't have expected to find themselves in this opportunity at this stage of their career but mm-hmm. is it a good thing to try and develop this rather than um, go hunting Roy Keane yeah well I think uh, there's I suppose it's merit to both sides of the argument. I think you can you can look at certain managers who come in from abroad in the last few seasons. Uh, you know, Ian Barraclough didn't work didn't work out well from in the end at Sligo, but he, you know, he won the league. He brought an awful lot of expertise. Uh, Mickey Adams, he had a lot of expertise coming in. Uh, you know, people from abroad have an, an awful lot to offer too. People with big reputations. But uh, yeah, it's good to see young coaches like Tommy Barrett and. Um, uh, Dave Mackey getting looked, getting kind of uh, chances and Tim Clancy obviously at, at Drogheda United as well Next one I suppose to round up has to be Dundalk because there's plenty goings on there disappointingly a few in the, the departing number like like Dave McMillan and Patrick McElhaney are going to be mm-hmm. the two that is huge Nicholas Vemeland as well Nic- Nicholas Vemeland obviously but I, th- I think that may have been covered last time we were I think we were certainly talking yeah, a little yeah. bit about him being missed but um, yeah. that is that is absolutely huge for, for Dundalk I think you have no doubt that they've got a brilliant manager and, and some good replacements coming in like Ronan Murray for example it's going to be very exciting mm-hmm. I wonder I mean we're talking about a team having to gel every single year losing big players this might be one of the worst yet in terms of spine of the team not looking for a new playmaker but looking for two sort of mainstays who have very much been there a long time now and, and it's very very difficult to come right off the back of that I think and, and go right back into it again yeah this was the the, the, the glass half full interpretation of it would be that they could have lost Robbie Benson as well and they haven't and that's important but um, yeah I think it was always kind of signposted that um, the three lads Femelin, McMillan and McElhenney were going to go at some stage the really disappointing thing for Dundalk is the fact that they're all out of contract they're all over 23 so they they haven't got a penny for them so that's kind of um, Stephen Kenny was even talking about in the in the media last last year saying look if the club is going to keep on progressing every year getting better if the league's going to keep on getting better they're going to have to be able to either hang on to their players or be able to sell them so that they can reinvest that money but uh, you know it's a kind of the it's kind of the the catch twenty two, I suppose. If you're successful, you you did your players do attract interest from abroad, and um, you know I, th- I think the big thing for Dundalk this year is that last year they dealt with the loss of Horgan, they dealt with the loss of Boyle. They've they've got that experience of, you know, uh, I suppose it took them a while to adapt, but they did finish the season particularly strongly. So um, I think that's that's something that will stand to them. I think they'll they'll have learned the lessons of last year in terms of uh, replacing important players again, and. I suppose the other thing would be bringing in um, an experienced international in a Corollis Feducas I think I think he did a much better job than I could have ever done with that so I'll, I'll give you that one yeah from Sudova in uh, Lithuania he's played um, you know advanced stage uh, Europa League qualifiers up to the playoff stage um, you know he's, he's played in big games like that he's played in five of Lithuania's ten World Cup qualifiers including against England I think so he's got um, you know he's played in big games he's got that sort of experience that Dundalk have learned over the past four or five years and that I'd say will be kind of crucial to them um, maybe getting to that stage again and possibly you know possibly progress, progressing to the same stage that mm. they did before and absolutely yeah I would say that's an early shout for probably signing of the season so far in terms of how they've done it um, yeah well, just, just one thing on that I think people probably look down on a Lithuanian player just because you know they're they're a smaller football country than we are but in terms of the league I don't think they're any smaller than this really and again in, in terms of Sudova they've gotten four rounds in the in qualifying for the Europa League so they're not they're not minnows by any means and they're they're up there with you know the likes of Cork City and Dundalk it'll be it'll be no step down that's for sure in terms of pronunciation we'll learn when uh, when, when Hamo, George Hamilton himself gives us the he, he loves a bit of phonetics yeah. spelling it out for us really well will, will Dundalk be on uh, will they be will yeah. they be in George games this year no, this? maybe not hmm. maybe not um, finally we'll just touch a little bit on Bose we'll have uh, more time to sort of get into a lot of the other squads um, closer to the season but let's talk a little bit about Bows I mean you we talked off air um, a little bit about themselves and Bray mm. being the, the non-pros this year what does it mean for Bows at the moment the, the kind of setup they have they ended on quite a high note last year yeah I think next season they've they've 
will probably take a little bit of a step up. I think they've they're probably a bit more financially secure than they were this time last year. Uh, certainly getting the the stadium and everything sorted out, and maybe just. The, the attendance is going up a bit and a, a better feeling around the club and obviously having sold two two young players I mean Fouad Sule and Warren O'Hara have gone to Barnet and Brighton respectively uh, from what I hear they've gotten kind of you know maybe low six figures between the two of those so um you know that that'll be good for the club. They can reinvest that. Uh, but yeah, them and Bray will be the two part-time teams next season. And I I think if you're looking at the manager, you can take a part-time team and really make them overachieve. You you're really looking at Keith Long, aren't you? Absolutely. And Fuad Sule's made his debut already, hasn't he? Went straight over into the team. Yeah, he was a sub on Saturday, I think. Was he? Mm. Uh, did you catch any of that? How did he get on? Uh, no, I wasn't no, watching. I wasn't watching the stream of Barnet, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, that's because I, you watch all your football league. Yeah. That's of course. But yeah. I, I was talking to him um, just over the New Year uh, uh, for for an upcoming little little interview piece. But uh, mm. yeah, he, I think he he might not have been expecting to get into the team quite so quickly. But um, he's a very confident young man, and he's uh, he. he He's fully gone over there, expecting that he can, um, if he works hard, he can get his opportunities, and if he gets opportunities, he can take them. And it looks like it's come, it's come early for him, and uh, hopefully he succeeds, and hopefully Barnett managed to stay safe. All right, let's get more details on Bray's latest appointment now with uh, Daniel Gorman of the Bray People. Maybe bring us through a little bit here, Daniel, of what's going on at the moment with Bray. Um, of course, we were speaking to Harry Kenny recently enough. We've got a couple of updates, but you wrote a piece during the week on the appointment of David Mackey and uh, Bray's future. And obviously, the budget was a main concern last year, but it seems to have been cleared up a little bit. Is that the case? Yeah, it's true. Um, obviously, it was a, a big sticking point after last year, the, I suppose, overspending or kind of overplanning expecting fans to come in the door and therefore make up the, the difference and the payments didn't quite happen never took off that way so this year it has to be revisited um, they have done that Dave although obviously didn't disclose any details of the budget told me he was happy with the budget he has and he thinks it's perfectly fine to work with and uh, it's enough to keep the, bre- the team in the Premier League next year he's happy that he can secure the players to do that um, he's obviously got 14 signed up so far some, some signed back from last year some new heads and um, so at the moment, yeah, it looks, having gone over Christmas, it was completely drifting into no man's land. And then Stephen Day, bang, manager, and a week later, he's got nearly half a, a full squad signed up. So it's, there is progress at last. And obviously, there's still a bit more to come, but no goalie at the moment is first time on Friday. So you imagine there'll be a few more bodies added before Friday. That uncertainty over over the over the winter. Sorry, um, I, I think probably most of us probably expected that that most of the squad wouldn't be signing back. But uh, it looks like about nine, ten of them have actually signed back now. So it's uh, this, there will be a bit of continuity from last season, which maybe you wouldn't have expected a couple of months ago. Yeah, no, absolutely, um, and especially some of the players that did sign back, particularly would have been the ones you would have had down as players who I spoke. Like I personally spoke to Conor Kenna near the end of the season because I think he just made his 400th league appearance. And I kind of pushed him on, like, will you be back next year? And he was very hesitant to give any, again, he didn't give any place whatsoever about coming back. He said, look, we'll see. But every indication I got from that evening was that he wanted to get out of there quick. And then, lo and behold, he signed back Hugh Douglas. I think everyone probably expected once or something there, he would have been happy to come back because he's very loyal. He's Bray-based. His great-granddad played for Bray many, many years ago. Um, obviously, then we have, yes, signing back. Darren Newman was already there. Aaron Green was already there. Jay Geddes was already there. Keith Buckley was there, but as everyone knows, it seems got his move that he was dreaming about. Um, Kevin Lynch was already there as well, I should say. Um, so yeah, sticking on then, John Sullivan, who last year, I think, personally, I thought he was a bit underwhelming for his, his own high standards. Um, but I'm sure like, he's very experienced at this stage. It'll be vital this year, depending on it looking like it's going to be a, a young squad. So it'll be great to have him in there. Yeah, there is that. Okay. Sorry, there is that core of uh, experienced players in there. But I think um, uh, before the season started, maybe there was kind of uh, concerns that maybe Bray would have to run with mainly an under 19s or a very young squad. Uh, do you still foresee it being being the the kind of core of experienced players who are there now and mainly making up from from the underage teams? Yeah, that's pretty much it. And actually, that's what Dave said to me. Um, I think Dave was appointed on a Thursday. And I texted Sherman the following day saying, could you give me Dave's number? And then before I knew it, Dave himself rang me and said, look, please want to have a chat. And he uh, he emphasised a lot on the phone call. And we stayed for half an hour and then we spoke pretty well. He was very nice to talk to everything. And yeah, he kept saying, like, I want to get a spine. I want to get a good spine to work with. And then I'm very happy to work with you, which I just said, it looks like he's going to do that. It looks like I believe that Peter Charity will be signing back. A very experienced man in goals. 
Kenna Douglas experience in the Benz, Sullivan, McCabe, Jay Kelly even in the midfield, Paul O'Connor experience. Like it is gonna have that core and then hopefully young talent that will flourish as well. So at the moment, like you, you will be positive. Um like compared to a few weeks ago anyway, it's definitely it's a massive, massive shift. Like there was all sorts of infighting going on and this manager was gonna be appointed, then he wasn't, then this man was, then he wasn't and it just it was just the last thing they needed after a season of uncertainty. Um, but it looks like finally someone's taking control and is running with something and Dave's the man with the ball now and obviously everyone will back him and get behind him and hope that it's his first ever manager job at 57 which in itself some people might say is unusual um, whatever the circumstances were that he never got the job I did ask him about that but he kind of gave a, a political answer and danced around the subject that he's always managed assistant manager coach etc all his life and to get the big job so late in his career is unusual but look it could be it could be the best thing that ever happened it could be the best thing that happened to Bray We'll have to wait and see, but um, at the moment, I'm a very nice to talk to. He's obviously got something about him that he's persuaded some of them big names to come back and got extra players in. So, um, and he's very highly spoken throughout the league. Everyone I spoke with said what a, what a great man he is, a great football man he is, and just a gentleman in general. So, uh, you'd have to be encouraged. And as you said, yeah, spine of the team will be experienced, core key players, and then it helped implement and integrate young players as well alongside that. And as you said, Dave is uh, very experienced, even if he hasn't had a had a, had a first team manager's role before. But uh, have you any sort of indication of uh, what style of football he'd be looking to play? Would it be sort of uh, continuing on from the from the passing style of Harry Kenny, or is there any sort of um, is there any sort of notion at the moment about how the team will look? I guess. Yeah, I asked him, and he said that. Uh, well, this is before he signed it. And he said, look, he's hoping to get as many lashes back as possible, and if he does, then why would he change? was so good last year so possibly the 4-2-3-1 that Harry used um, he wants to basically keep it as, as similar as he can to what's there he said if it's working why would they change it so yeah again looks like it could be the 4-2-3-1 like you've obviously lost players but then you've got Jake playing the wing he'll replace what Jason Marsh has gone but then yeah it looks like it's going to be like for like as close as he can to like for like um, which is good because like, you don't want to have to try I know it's, a lot of them are new players so it wouldn't be that big a deal that big, that big a transition implement his own formation but um, he said no he's he'll happy he'll work with what he has and he wants to keep as close as he can to Harry and then obviously he wants to try and do better than Harry um, which it's great to see ambition like that I, I don't know if the squad at the moment looks to be as good as last year but we'll have to just wait to see what comes when the season kicks off uh, it was well documented uh, this time last year that uh, Bray had probably one of the top four uh, budgets in the league and were, were one of the few sort of uh, fully full-time teams. This year it looks like, along with Bohemians, they'll probably be the um, the only two part-time teams in the league. So uh, I guess that's going to that's gonna be a factor as well in terms of, I suppose, the expectations. Yeah, I think it has to be. Um, I think, realistically, given what's going on last year, like Bray last year, if July had never happened with the... the well, it was never actually an issue with the end with the wages, but if that whole circus hadn't occurred, we could be looking at Bray now talking about how to get on the Europe the Europa League this year instead, which unfortunately we're not. Um I think they have to be realistic and just survive this year. And it could be a transitional year and you have to like there's one team going down, one team in the playoffs. Would Bray accept the playoffs now? I don't know. When I spoke to Dave, he obviously said he wants to push on and do better, etc. But um, he's not going to turn around to me and say, oh, I'll play off, I'll do us fine, even if he's thinking of privately. But yeah, no, the worry is relegation. Um, you look at Limerick at the moment, you'd have to say Bray at the moment are fair and better than them. But that can change with two or three times. So just, you wouldn't be hanging your hat on that by any means. Um, but yeah, I think avoiding relegation has to be priority. The budget is lower. As you can see, we're part-time. And as you know, from every year, players are saying it, like they're having the book days off and do this and do that. It will make a big difference. You will see it, especially when there's six years thrown in two or three a week. It'll really take its toll on the ice of Bray. And that's when I think you'll see the difference in it. You made the, the comparison, Daniel, there to Limerick. Um, I think you even tweeted yourself about combining the two earlier. They could probably scrap together yeah. an 11, which is it's starting to look a little bit better for Bray now. But what about the two managers? Have they both gone in a similar way to try and save on the appointment going within? Or is this, this more a case of, of looking to promote from within? I think with Limerick, the latter, you'd, you'd almost certainly say they haven't got the money to look elsewhere. Yeah, I hadn't actually considered that. Um, I've seen obviously the news about Limerick's appointment and that it was from within and it never occurred to me that he was a similar kind of mould to Dave. Because um, obviously Dave has been involved with Cabin Dealing out the last while, um, assisting the Pat Devon out there. And he still, even though he wasn't involved with Bray since I think 2013 was his last involvement, if I remember, um, he said he still would go along to matches. And I asked him at what stage during the process of Harry leaving, then getting the job, when did he decide he wanted it? And he said as soon as he saw it, he thought, I'd love that. And he made his interest known to 
Jerry Mulvey, the chairman, and that the progress from there. But yeah, there is a lot of similarities now to think about it. Um, so that could go very well or put our way around. We'll have to wait and see with that one. But um, yeah, like that's two big risks, I suppose you could say, pointing to red level knowns in terms of first team management. Both obviously have vast experience and excellent knowledge and everything else. But it's a different different story altogether. Now they're gonna have big personalities, big senior players that like the likes of Conor Kenner, Fawns appearances, Gary McCabe, way experience. They're not gonna take any nonsense, and they could even give some nonsense. And it's up to Dave to handle that. He's never had that before. He's only dealt with kids before, so it's it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. If there's difficult times. If there's bad results and a bad run of form, can he rally the troops? Can he get a bunch of grown men going like that? I'm sure he can. I'm sure he's done it lots more in his career. But yeah, they could be very similar. Um, let's just hope that it fares better for Brecht and Limerick, obviously. Off the field, um, there was a very good piece with yourself and uh, Dennis O'Connor, the former chairman in the in the Bray people there a few weeks ago, where um, he kind of spoke about how at the end of the season, they ended up finishing behind the team with 40% of the budget, which is obviously Bohemians. And after all the efforts they'd made, they still couldn't get the get the fans through the door and they, they still couldn't get enough, uh, I suppose, people in the door to pay what what they would consider, you know, enough of the enough of the wage bill to make it worth their while. Mm. Um, do, do you get the feeling that they have more sort of realistic expectations this year? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's once been twice shy. Like they took a massive. They've admitted, like Dennis admitted themselves, that they were an naive thing and they could just gamble on fans coming and making up the difference in the wages and the income. Um, it didn't work at all. I think realistically, as well as they were going to do, they were never going to pull in thousands each week. You can't. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's a long process to get to get fan bases like that. Um, I think yeah, this year they'll be realistic. They'll they won't be budgeting and fans coming in the door to get them through hopefully fans do come through the door but that means more than last year and so on but no I think they're, they're being very risky this year with what they have and what they don't have and they're just kind of stick to what they can do um, the licence thing is obviously a bit of an issue I'm sure but they'll be well scrutinised now when they present their financial plans and everything for the year after last year um, so please God all goes well there and the last thing the league needs and the asterisks beside the club in a few weeks or or Galway being told to get ready for the Premier or anything like that because that's the last thing you need before a ball team kicked so that'll be announced soon well in a few weeks I think so please God it's good news for Bray and every club obviously we don't want any club so from that and on the issue of the fans, I know um, there's kind of been over the past few years, maybe some fans have fallen out of love with the, the club or at least the way it's been run. As somebody who's kind of spends a lot of time in the area, do you get any sense that maybe things are starting to change a little bit or is it still kind of the same old situation where it's just not the critical mass, I suppose, to, to, to run the club in the way it, that people want it to be run? No, I don't I don't really get much change, to be honest. Um, there would even, like, around the club, around the town, like, there's only the few, very few, like, if I walk from my end of the entry to the door, I'd say 99.9% of the time, nobody would stop to mention Bray Wanderers. See, just the same few heads would all the time. Um, like obviously, the, the big issue with the fans, they're the loyal former fans, whatever they're considered now, was um, the O'Connor brothers. There was a few protests around the year. I think you saw one yourself, David, about O'Connor's out. Um, and they would consider it, I think, four fans at a banner. So it might be generous to call it a protest. But there is definitely ill seating there, and that is sort of the main reason for the kind of the exportation of fans. Um, I don't think it'll change much. I think the fact that there's a new manager, a young squad, a lot of local lads as well. Like there's new more local lads brought in this year. Jay Kelly's back for Charles Belly. May as well be brave only down the road. So maybe all that people might put their their differences aside and just go along and support the club as it's run now by Jerry Mulvey and it's all they're trying to change it and keep it local. And they've got like Huey, they've got Jerry, they've got Dara who's more or less local, same as Jake Dylan Hayes now. So hopefully all that does lead the fans just saying, look, it's like they've come so close to losing it so many times that one day they don't wake up and be gone and they'll regret then never actually going out from doing it. So hopefully something does change. Um, obviously every time someone comes in the door, it's, it's all money for Bray, it's all great for Bray. Um, and that's the kind of way to push the club forward. I've always said that the best way to do it is to get the kids invested and then try and get the for life. So sending out a Jay Kelly or whoever out to the schools and doing your keep you and all your fancy tricks. And then the kids want to go out and see them on the Friday because they think, God, I know him, get to my school. That's the best way, I think, to try and get the young fans going. And then you see yourself sometimes out there on Friday, they do invite schools. And the atmosphere, even if you brought them off a free, just to get to the atmosphere, I think it works. But that's obviously something the club have to decide upon. But I think they should do anything they can to get kids in for two euro. And just, there's no point keeping this empty seats when you could sell them for two euro each just to get an atmosphere, get something in the door. And that could lead to life, lifelong fans as well, which is only good for the club, obviously.
Yeah, in in terms of the locality you mentioned yourself, do we know, is there any update on what the plan is of the hierarchy with the grounds? Because there was a lot of talk about that last year as well. And as you mentioned, there's been a lot of lessons learned perhaps in the last year or so, but is, is this going to be another contentious issue to talk about later in the year? I hope not. Um, I really hope not. I'm sick of writing about that, to be honest. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I think I think it's for now, it's it's dormant for now. But um, like I could at any stage rear its head. Um, like obviously it was Leicester's Council last year which were all published and well documented in the end um, but as far as I know yeah it's, it's quiet for now and Bray Wanderers Football Club is concentrating on Bray Wanderers Football Club and not Bray Wanderers development or as a hotel or as apartments it's just getting players in getting the manager in um, and along with that continue because I'm happy to ride the football every week as opposed to off field stuff um, so for now it's all quiet it's all good and let's hope it stays that way for as long as possible Great stuff well Daniel when the off field stuff starts up we'll be sure to give you a ring again uh, Excellent Cheers, love. Thank you. You can subscribe to each new episode of the Extra Time WWE Sportscast on iTunes. Please give a rating or add a comment there to let us know your views. Quite a contrast there, Dave, to uh, Bray's previous season. The sort of high hopes of the team and some of the talent they had amongst them. Um, we'll talk, we should talk a little bit about that, but also, do you think that the hierarchy will have learned a lesson from that? Is there going to be a new outlook on the management? Are we going to see a, a real you know, improved situation or do you reckon there's a possibility that this could be all going south again very, very soon? Yeah, well, I referenced there in the, in, in the interview um, a, a piece Dan ran in the Bray People a couple of weeks ago, uh, an interview with Dennis O'Connor where he basically more or less said that their plan going into last season was to, you know, to spend big. I think they, they outspent, every, outspent everybody except the top three and maybe not even them. So, you know, they put the money into it. They were aiming for Europe to try and break even on that didn't work out they kind of fell apart halfway through the season because their their funding dropped out so you know it was a gamble that didn't work I I really don't see how they can't have learned from it but uh, I suppose the the tricky thing for this season is you know if if a hole does emerge again are they going to have to stomach the bat to kind of to deal with it yeah I wonder is the learning from it going to be a case of well there's no success here let's get away or now this is pure speculation obviously but I, I can't see a situation where they learn from it and Bray perform above what they did last season yeah well I think even the the people in control of the club last year Dennis O'Connor was chairman at the start of the season he admitted fully himself he's not a football person he's a he's a hurling man so I think probably a mixture of maybe naivety and you know just uh, just just I suppose maybe maybe overconfidence with regards to some of the the re-signings I suppose we're a little bit surprising that we saw quite as many um McCabe would be one of the big names obviously to to talk about that I wonder in terms of wage again not to speculate on someone's livelihood but they surely haven't been able to match what they originally mentioned so it must be a case of um, happy staying at the club earning a decent enough sum I still imagine but I can't Mm. imagine they've they've been able to to commit the same way they did previously No well they'll be part time this year I think uh, I'd say the bulk of that squad now will take up part time work and maybe the last year has taught them that you know, the off, the offer of a full time contract isn't isn't maybe isn't all it's cracked up to be. So they're they're preparing for their lives. You have to remember that a lot of that squad are kind of hovering around the thirty twenty eight mark. So you know they have to start thinking about their lives as well. Well, we'll talk now then to a uh, former Bray Wanderers player in Eamon Zayed, a player who's been right around the world, had plenty of experience in in various different uh, categories, and we're going to find out some of them right now. You're listening to the Extra Time Sportscast. Delighted to say we've got Eamon Zaid on the line and uh, Eamon, some of the interviews you've been doing in the Irish media recently have been, been fascinating. Plenty of people know you'd gone to play for Libya, all right, but there's probably a large majority that don't know the full details of the experience. Uh, let's start with the opportunity, how the opportunity, I should say, came about. Was it the Libyan and Tunisian FA that got in touch originally? It was, yeah. Um, 2010 I started playing for Libya, but um, I just... Briefly, the background story to that was um, obviously my mom. My mom is um, born and bred in, in Ireland in Dublin, um, as, as am I. My father was born in Tunisia, but his parents, uh, my grandparents, are from Libya. So growing up, obviously, you know, aspirations to play for Ireland, and you know, I had, had a good time playing for the Irish in the twenties and Irish in twenty ones. But um, two thousand and ten, I think I was twenty six years of age or, or something like that, and um, I think the the opportunity to, to step into the uh, Irish senior team was uh, was probably passed. So um, basically, I, randomly I got a phone call, um, or my father got a phone call from um, 
someone within the Libyan FA and just basically asked if I'd be interested in, in, in joining up with the Libyan team. Um, and it came about because um, I think the beginning of 2010, uh, Libya hired a new coach, um, Marcus Paquito was his name, and he's from Brazil. And up until that point, all the Libyan national team players were just based in Libya. But um, but 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 Bakita decided that he was going to you know look afar and see see if there was any kind of I guess any any players with any kind of um, you know um, grandparents or anything like that uh, out there playing in the European leagues and he 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 looked at me and invited me up and um, and I said yeah and delighted I said yeah because I had a great time um, representing Libya for for three or four years. Was there was there a case of turned it down initially with still sort of hopes to to play for Ireland when they came knocking? Did they come knocking quite early? They came not they came knocking at the perfect time, if if I'm honest. Um I mean I had yeah, I remember um I remember when I played for the Irish in the twenties, we went away with Brian Kerr to the uh under twenty World Cup, World U Cup, um, in Dubai. And when I was over there, um I think Tunisia were the first nation that kind of got Got, got wind of me representing Ireland and stuff like that and they approached me to play but at the time I had you know I wanted to play for Ireland I mean that was my dream um, to put on that jersey one day but um, you know as the years go by obviously the the, the, the opportunity kind of gets slimmer and slimmer and slimmer and then you kind of have to be realistic with yourself and I wasn't going to probably represent the Irish national team so 26, 27 years of age um, I actually it was again 2010 as I said earlier it was just um I was playing for Sport and Fingal, and it was my second year at Sport and Fingal. And if I'm being honest, I, I had a dreadful time playing football um, with Fingal. The second year, the first year wasn't so bad, but the second year wasn't good at all. Um, Liam Buckley was a coach at the time. And, um, you know, instead of playing me in my natural position, which, which is straight down the middle, he decided to utilise me uh, out left. Um, you know, and, and I mean, anybody that knows me would, would, would probably laugh at you at the idea of me playing out left. Um, it just wasn't my position and um, I didn't really enjoy it um, and you know when, when, when Libya came calling it was a perfect time because to be honest I was getting fed up with football a little bit um, you know I just finished the Masters in 2010 um, whilst I was playing with Fingal and I had contemplated quitting full-time football um, if I'm being honest and, and going back to part-time football um, but Libya came calling um I went over for for a week and 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 I knew when as soon as I you know after a week when I flew back back to Ireland I said you know what, I want to I want to experience that again it was an unbelievable experience and uh, and, I, and I wanted to continue playing full time football so it was the perfect time um, for me and and originally a club side if I'm not mistaken came knocking as well didn't they was it Al Ali but there was a, a case of a, a rule blocking foreign born Libyans under thirty at the time was that was was it was it yeah. a plan to move over sort of go full time over there Jesus yeah the um, the aim and Zygmunt you know, was my friend the family nicknamed us it was um, <laughs> ah, it was bizarre nah, it was bizarre it really was um, so when I went over to Libya the, the Libya media made a massive fuss over me and um, there was another player who was based in Portugal um, again of, of Libyan ancestry He, the two of us came over we were the first European based players playing professional football in Europe ever to, to play national football for the Libyan national team so um, the media made a big fuss about us. Um, when we arrived over there, the, I think the second time, I think I went over in September the first time, then I went back in November. And the second time I went back in November, I was approached by two teams um, playing the Libya League, two biggest teams based in Tripoli, um, to sign for them. And one of the teams was um, was, was run by the government, um, was run by um, Mohamed Khafi's son. And the other one was, um, was, was looked at as the people's team. Um, so both teams offered me a contract um, first first contract was, was offered by the government team um, great contract six months short term deal um, I was about to say yeah until the government team or the, the, the people's team let's say came knocking and they offered me an even better contract and at the time I you know I, I didn't know too much about either team um, I just went with what was the best contract um, I agreed to sign um, a couple of pictures were taken with me holding the jersey up and uh, a couple of days later, those pictures were leaked onto the internet. Um, there were many postponed those pictures and, and the official signing for a week or so. Um, but those pictures got leaked onto the internet. And when the government team, Dr. Mohammed Gaddafi's son, who, who ran the Libyan Federation, 
when he found out, he decided to bring this rule. Um, and it was the most bizarre rule ever. Um, it was basically any any player who represents any player who comes from Europe, a professional league in Europe, who represents the Libyan national team, cannot play in the Libyan league until he is 30 years of age or older. So, um, I mean, it was made for me. Um, just to prevent me from stopping, he just did not like the fact that I turned his team down, and uh, and I signed for the other team. But um, I mean, he had the power to do what the hell he wanted, and that's what he done. So it was uh, it was frustrating because um, you know I was I was prepared to go over there for for a six month deal and, and and see what it was all about. Yeah, I suppose it's flattering in a way, but uh, in terms, you, you mentioned kind of uh, the maybe a bit of negativity from the media and obviously from uh, from the government. But in terms of uh, the players you played with in the Libyan national team, was there any sort of um, you coming in from abroad and maybe not 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 having uh, grown up with them or whatever? Was there any sort of negativity towards you, or did they accept you right away? No, it took a while. It really did take a while for them to accept me. Um, if I'm being honest, I mean, not 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 all of them, but. Um, but a few of them, yeah, um, a good few of them. Um, I mean, there was examples. There was many examples of me, of me playing games, um, you know. And there was an opportunity for for guys to just square ball and at times square ball for a topping, um, and they wouldn't. And um, I knew, I, I knew when this was going on, um, in in some of the games that you know, it was sometimes they would they would rather pass to somebody else than me. I could see it, but um, I remember after. Maybe three or four games into into us, um, a journalist came and said, "Look, we've we've actually put together a, a short, you know, couple of minutes of, of clips of of, of of some of the guys not passing to you." And it's a bit <laughs> obvious that it's a bit obvious that there's something going on there. Um, so they highlighted, um, which was great because I, I I knew that there was something there, you know. Um, and I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. Like, I mean, we, you know, it was a strange one because you're all there to represent the national team, put on a jersey. Um, I don't know what it was. Maybe they saw, you know, this guy from Ireland, he's, he's, you know, he hasn't been brought up in Libya. He, you know, can barely speak the language. You know, what's he doing here? You know, maybe it was that. I don't know. Um, but um, it did take a while for them to, to finally, finally accept me. And they did. They eventually did. But it definitely took a few games. You don't have a copy of that video, do you? I don't. No, I don't. I don't. I don't actually know. Um, but I saw it. Um, I saw it, and uh, I didn't want to highlight it myself. I didn't want to be the one to go look at that. I told you so. Um, you know. But um, whatever they highlighted, it and um, and uh, I, I mean, I don't know what the players thought of it. Um, but um, it was. It was. It was. It was there to be seen. It was obvious. Um, so um, that was. I mean, you look back at it, and yeah. You kind of go, Jesus, that was kind of bizarre and funny. But, um, yeah, um, we got through it anyway. But I suppose that whole experience, um, it probably, um, uh, I suppose it's a bigger platform than uh, playing for Sporting Fingal at the Morton Stadium or whatever. It's probably what led to, mm. uh, you know, going to Tehran and places like that later on. Ah, for sure, yeah. It was, um, I mean, I think that, that opened up that opened up, I guess, my eyes to, to opportunities away from from home, and and it, obviously the norm of just going to England and Scotland, and also, um, I think agents. You know, I after I, I my first game with the Libyan national team, I, I got random messages through Facebook um, of agents, you know, proposing that I go to, you know, different countries. Um, you know, obviously Libya. It was a proposal to go to Egypt, um, and then obviously ultimately. Um, the proposal to go to uh, to Iran, so um, I think that was based off the, the fact that it was now I guess an international player, and you know I was not afraid to go over to Libya and, and the likes of there to to play. Yeah, I suppose Libya is just one aspect, but we, we should probably just highlight because some of the interviews you've done recently, I mentioned at the the top of the show there, that was um, absolutely fascinating. Uh, for example, the, the story of the men with guns disrupting training to yeah. sort of eject a player who'd supported Gaddafi on TV or been asked to. Um, so it was mm. not particularly shocking, but ha- had you been asked to do anything like that when you were there? No, so when I went over 2010, it was, um, I mean, Gaddafi was firmly in charge of the country and it was... Um, it was it was a nice country to go and visit. It really was. It's um, you know, I mean, when I, whenever I stayed in a hotel, you'd see you know a lot of multinationals from from various countries there doing business and working over there. Um, and it was, 
was a nice country, um, you know. And um, but if you ask the people back then in 2010, um, they would, and my family. I mean, you know, I had regular chats with, with my dad's side, and, and he had a big family over there. They would say there was a, a dictatorship going on, and there was an absolute stranglehold in the country, and you couldn't do anything, and you were afraid to do anything, um, you know, because because Gaddafi was was in charge, and he he he, he took no shit, um, you know. Let's say so. Um, I remember in 2000, that, that, that's what it was like. But um, in 2012 or 2013, 2012 when the revolution, I guess, broke out, um, you know, everything changed. Everything changed. Mm. Um, the whole, the country completely changed. And, um, I mean, I can go into that, but you asked me, was, you know, did I, I did, I got asked when, when the revolution first broke out. Um, in the first couple of months, I mean, obviously, you know, the revolution was going on, but Gaddafi was still in charge. And he had asked a few players to, to go on national TV in, in support of him. Um, and he, he asked me, he asked me through my, well, my, my father got a call from somebody and asked would I go on and, and, and offer my support. Um, and I was like, no chance. I mean, there's no chance I was going to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would have been going against... I mean, I obviously, you know, I'm, I don't like talking about things that I don't really know a lot about. Um, I'd rather just have no opinion. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't brought up in Libya. So, I, you know, I, I heard all the stories, but I didn't, I didn't experience it. But I do know that my family, my dad's side, would have been strictly against, um, you know, me going on TV and supporting Gaddafi. Mm. So, um, so, no, I was never going to do it. Um, and, yeah, I was more than happy just to stay out of it. But, um Unfortunately, some of the players, you know, a handful of players went on, and and and, and probably the Gaddafi probably asked the, the more popular and better players of the team to go on TV and, and offer support, and um, and I guess they paid the price because they were um, they were told in you know in in extreme circumstances to, to get out of the country, and they weren't they didn't represent the national team anymore. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating backdrop because I, I was thinking marked with um, some of the. Some of the other stories from your career. I mean, I was thinking to myself reading the um, the part about Mickey Adams kicking footballs at you and telling you to fuck off out of training. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. a bit of a contrast of scary details to have to to deal with, I suppose, from each career because one is very very football oriented, and as you said, would probably have been the one that yourself and more of your your compatriots there would have been more um, used to dealing with. So very extreme circumstances. Yeah. But we, I suppose we'll we'll we plenty more to touch on because it's not just like you've you've been sticking around um, Libya and straight back to the League of Ireland because you got the nickname was it Mister Hattrick from Perspolis? Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's obviously one of the. One of the things that would have travelled, not just to ourselves, but like right across, uh, right across the world in the Tarain Derby, where your team were two 0 down and down to ten men, and you, you managed to pull back after. I think it was less than ten minutes as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, that was. I guess that was just pretty Royal Rover stuff when I look mm. back on it. Um, it Unbelievable really stuff, really. Um, yeah, um, you know, and it was. It was again. I mean, I mean, a hat trick at any time is, is is a great time. But that came at a great time, a perfect time because I had been in the in the country of Iran and with that club and um, Persepolis for a month um, prior to that game. And I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't kicked the ball in 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 any game um, prior to that. Um, I was just training away. I, the coach had told the the, the president and my agent. That he was never going to use me, so there was no point in me sticking around Iran. Um, I mean, I had only been in the country a month, um, so it was it was tough to hear, you know, that the coach didn't he had seen me in training and didn't want to use me at all. Um, in his eyes, I was <laughs> I was useless, I guess, to him. So um, I mean, you know, hearing that obviously, you know, this was the end of January after after being a month there. That was that was difficult. That was tough, um, but. Um, Fortunately um, for me, I had the president of the team on my side, and um, he told the coach to to use me at least once. Um, you know, because of I don't know whatever finances was was um, was, was was swapped hands. He said that you know you're going to give him at least one chance. Yeah. I didn't bring this guy all the way over from Ireland um, to to not use him once. Um, so the coach done what he was told. Um, and um, well, I mean, he kind of done what he was told. It was uh, the, it was the, obviously the, the derby. It was the big game. It's one of the biggest games in Asia. Definitely, definitely the biggest game of the year in Iran. Um, but one of the biggest games in Asia. And um, we're talking about a derby of 
I mean, on, on, on a normal derby day, it's over 100,000 people at the stadium um, and millions and millions of people watching at home. So, um, in a way, it was it was, um, it was good that I didn't really realise at the time what the derby was all about. I knew it was a big game, but I hadn't got a clue what it was, you know, how big it was at the time. So, um, anyway, yeah, long story short, I mean, I, I was on the bench, didn't expect to play at all. Um, I really didn't. I, I mean, I was just kind of taking in the atmosphere, sitting down on the bench, kind of, you know, just taking it all in, going, this is an unbelievable experience. I mean, last year, the year prior to that would have been um, with Derry City. And, and I mean, you know, the brand duel is great, but we're talking two and a half, three thousand people, um, you know, compared to, to, to the Azadi Stadium in Tehran. And there's 86,000 people, you know, um, absolutely screaming. Um, so it was great. And um, yeah, 2 0 down. With 30 minutes to go, you know the coach gives us a a whistle to to come forth and got on 60 odd minutes, um, and I think 10 minutes later we we got a player sent off, so we we're down to 10 men, and um, and uh, <laughs> we were down to 10 men, and, and the coach is going to take me back off. Um, again, I told you the coach. The coach. I might have touched the ball twice prior to that. Um, prior to that, but he, you know, the coach. He really did not want to use me, and he really. It was like one of those where two 0 down. I go on. I might as well just throw yeah. one. I mean, we're not going to win the game anyway. Did he? I did he try and take credit then? When when what the what was the post match interview like then? Was it a case of? Of course he did. <laughs> uh, he, this guy was a this, genuinely. This guy was a hero after that. I mean, he really. Like, he was like, is you know the 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 win in the derby is 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 a, is means more than winning the league. Mm. And I I genuinely mean that when I say that. And you, you might be going, people might be going, ah, come on now, that's, that's silly. Like, obviously the league. No, winning the derby means more than winning the league um, to the team, to, the, to those two teams and those fans over there. So, um, no, the, the, the coach, you know, it was an unbelievable tactical change. Um, by him, <laughs> you know that's that's what it was looked at. You must have been um, you must have been mobbed then. Any time you were you were leaving the house, you must have been mobbed or or, or followed because it must have been a really crazy time to have been involved in something like that. I know I was yeah, and it was. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, I I loved it. It was a great experience. Mm. I mean, you know, it was just it was uh, it was just different. It was um, you know yet you, you couldn't go anywhere without people coming up to you, um, you know, asking for a picture and an autograph and. Um, I mean, I was more than happy to because I was like, yeah, come on, let's get a picture or whatever. I mean, it was great. Um, and I mean, it's, you know, it's mad because I have a, I have an Instagram an Instagram account and it's grown to, to three, I think that's 359,000 followers now. And um, I mean, I get messages every day from, from people over me around telling me, you know, telling me about the game and that they'll never forget and I'm their favourite player, etc, etc. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it's bizarre, like, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. I was in, um, I was in, in, when I was flying back from Indianapolis, I flew from Indianapolis to, to Denver, Colorado and back, back to, uh, to Ireland, but I was in Denver and um, random hotel, just there for a couple of days and, um, they're having breakfast and a couple of guys staring over and, I mean, I'm looking at them looking over at me going, why are they staring at me? I wasn't sure what they were looking at, but um, they kept staring at me. And eventually, they, I guess, plucked up the courage to come over and, and, and said, "Sorry, you, you Eamon's late." And I was like, "Yeah." They go, "Oh my God, we're from Iran, and we're living over here now. And we saw the game, and can we get a picture and stuff like that?" And um, it's mad because it's, it's. I mean, that's, that's, that's happened in Colorado. It happened in a few times in Indianapolis. It happened in Rome of this year when I went over there on holiday. Um, on a subway, some guy just comes up and asks me. I just, I find it bizarre that they still remember. I mm. can yeah, recognise a face, you know. Um, but it's great, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Um, I, I suppose just one of the things that that popped out to me when I was looking over the Chris Palace team at the time was um, Alhaji Juf was involved, a player that yeah. I, I'm sure most uh, most people sort of recognise as a, a probably more infamous player than anything else. Any good stories on him? Was it was he a nice enough fella to 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 play with even? Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm laughing. I don't know what I can and can't say on this. It's a loaded um, question, to be fair. So we. Yeah, uh... I, I don't know what I can't look. Um, <laughs> that was a hell of an experience, um, and I mean, I have Jay's life stories to tell about my time in Malaysia with with, with not only um, El Hashjof but um, George O'Callaghan as coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but um, <laughs> oh, it was it was a uh, look. Firstly, as a player, it was really enjoyable. Um, 
playing with playing with Juffie. Um he would play he was a number ten and in, in like a playmaker role. He he was kind of at a I don't know, you know, he was, I say he was at an age where he didn't he didn't exactly, you know, move around so much on the pitch. Physically I don't know, whatever he'd done in his past, um, had caught up with him. Um but you give him the ball um, as a playmaker in, in in the Malaysian league anyway. Um he looked like an absolute genius and um it was it was great to play with him. Um, you know, as a number nine you would just make a run a run and he would just pinpoint on your foot. Um it was great and um no, from a playing point of view it was fantastic and I really enjoyed it and um scored um scored a good few goals in Malaysia and he probably assisted more than half of them. From a, a personal point of view, um I mean the guy is mad. He is. <laughs> you know, he really is. Uh there's loads of stories about that guy. Um and I don't know what I can and can't yeah. say. But um he's uh you know, he has obviously a reputation, um you know, and I'd say the reputation is he's he's much more than that. I mean, you know, I read about what he what he was like. Obviously, you know, you read about his time in, in, in I don't know, Liverpool and Rangers and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and he's a bit mad in the head. Um but but on the pitch it was great. Yeah, just finally on the on the subject of the league here, have you followed it much since you left? Because I know Drogheda were relegated last year and sure as a former team, they must have they must have been thinking they could have used, you know, for a couple of goals last year. I do, yeah, I did. I, I followed it last year, and I've, I followed it constantly ever since. Um, I mean, whenever wherever I am, if I'm Iran, Malaysia, um, America, I mean, I'm always um, checking up on results every every Friday night, and um, you know, at times I get on on, on RT and watch um, Soccer Republic whenever they do put on an international Soccer Republic show. Um, but um, yeah, I did. I watched it. Um, watched it last year, and it was yeah, it's disappointing to see. Drogheda, um obviously get relegated. Um to be fair, I you know, throughout the season I thought they were gonna get relegated. But uh it, it's disappointing because obviously I have great, great memories from my time there and you know, we were one of, you know, I was fortunate to play on, on I guess possibly one of the best teams Drogheda had. Um obviously we won the league there and won a couple of cups, um and it was a great experience. So um it will be nice to have a strong Drogheda again. Um, I would think anyway it would be nice you know um, but I live with um, a guy called Colin Falvey from Cork uh, he's been playing over in America now for the last six years and um, you know it was it was funny obviously he's he's, he's, a, he's a big big Cork supporter and um, towards the end of last season it was funny kind of winding him up asking him like I mean are Cork ever going to cross the line are they um, but I mean eventually they did um, which was nice to see Um Obviously, kind of stopping the dog's dominance, um, and it'll be interesting to see you now this year. Um, obviously, I, again, I think you know it's going to be the dog or Cork City for the title, and maybe Shamrock Rovers might come a little bit closer, um, Derry City. But no, I, again, I think it's going to be Cork or, or the dog, and it'll be interesting to see you now um, between the two of them who, who who who's the front runner. And obviously, you've been in uh, the US the past couple of years in the eleven. Um, is there any point when you're kind of travel around, traveling around America? You're in California, or Florida, or whatever. Do you kind of think, God, I really wish I was playing in United Park or Finn Park at the moment? Or I can a hundred percent answer that with a solid no. I don't. Um, I I had. I mean, look, I I love playing League of Ireland. I had a great time. Um, I really, really did. Um, but I just think the league is different now um, than when I was playing there. Um, I think during my time, or a lot of my time, um, I played with some great, let's say, experienced players um, from the likes of Stephen Fox and Colin Tresson at Bray Wanderers to, um, you know, to Glenn Crow with Sporting Fingal. Um, I mean, you know, obviously Jason Byrne. And, and there was a lot of players there that, that played well until they're well, well into their you know early thirties anyway. Um, but now I feel the League of Ireland is 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 made for younger players. Um, I think you know I think it's a great league for 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 kind of you know eighteen, nineteen, uh, twenty, twenty-one year olds. You know or, or you know lads up until their mid twenties to to try and play and, and maybe you know do well and break across. Uh, the war to England or, or wherever they want to go. Um, I think that's what the league is is 
is made for right now. I think you're just going to see kind of players now getting into their late twenties, definitely early 30s, just retiring. You see players retiring at an early age, earlier age than than you would have when I was playing there. You know, so I mean, at my age to come back and and play here in League of Ireland, no, I, I just, I mean, you never say never. I just, I just can't see it. You know. All right, and that's, there's a kind of a, a growing contingent of Irish players over in, in the leagues in America now. Obviously, I think uh, probably kicked off by uh, your mate Colin Falvey, but uh, there's likes of Kieran Kilduff and Paddy Barrett going over in the last few months. Um, I know Kevin Doyle has spoken a lot about how you know he'd achieved everything he could in England, and he really saw moving to Colorado as sort of a, a massive lifestyle change. Um, mm. do, do you see some? Do you see that 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 sort of move across across to America is that kind of something that's going to that's going to become a lot more popular now that the the American leagues are a little bit stronger. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, firstly, I think you know the lads that have gone across have represented Ireland and, and the League of Ireland quite well. Um, you know, I think you know Richie Ryan has has, has done brilliantly over there in, in the NASL, and he got a big move to Miami. Um, Karen Kilduff went over last year, and uh, and he done well. He I mean, I played against him a couple of times, but um, he played well. He, he scored a few goals, and I think this year he'll he'll be even better. Um, you know, so I think most of the guys that that I I'm aware of anyway, James Chambers is another guy, but uh, he's done well. He's captain of, of Bethel of Steel now. But any of the guys that have have gone from the League of Ireland over there have done quite well, and 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 have really done the League of Ireland proud. I think so. I think um, you know you you might see more players deciding. To, to, to make that trip over there and and look, you know, it's it's for me the football over there is really good. Um, you know, you get you get looked after really well. Um, off the pitch, anything you need is is there because you're you know you're dealing with companies who are fifteen to twenty or more uh, full time staff working for them. So if you have any issues or anything like that, there's always someone there. Um, football facilities and, and everything like that is is spot on. It's it's excellent. Yeah, you obviously get to travel as well a little bit and see different parts of America. You know, obviously it's always nice to go to Miami or San Francisco or New York. Um, but then you also look at maybe life after football, um, which I know some of the guys you know over there are are, are doing little bits of coaching. Um, you know, if you want to be a coach over in Ireland, what are you looking at? A handful of full time paid jobs. Uh, I mean, there's there's really not a lot. Um, but over there, you know, there's massive opportunities if you want to go into coaching after football. So um, I can see a lot of Irish guys possibly going over to play and then and then stepping into coaching over there. And um, and then yeah, the lifestyle as well is is something that you look at. I mean, America's so big. It's like I mean, every you know, you go from the east coast to the west coast. Or obviously, I'm in I'm in the Midwest in Indiana, um, and they're all different. Um, you know, you have weather in one part, you have skiing in another part. You know, um, it's just a lot to to do and see. Um, and I think it's you know for lifestyle, um, I think it's it's really good. Well, look, Eamon, cracking stuff. Thanks for being so generous with your time. And uh, when you no do problem. eventually finish up over there, we'll keep a good, tenuous eye out for the uh, sort of Eamon's eye coming back and coaching over here. Links, we'll get you back on then, maybe. Happy days. Looking forward to it. Log on to extratime.ie. Something that struck me there, Dave, that uh, Eamon mentioned was his sort of profile rising as an international football, uh, international footballer, I should say. I wonder, with regards to how many players have had this opportunity in maybe not just Irish leagues, but, but for the most part, let's let's focus on the Irish leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what kind of difference this could have made to quite a few players' careers and and how, how much it's helped um, certain individuals get on a bit further as we mentioned Horgan and, and Boyle in previous episodes of, uh, how much this will have aided them I wonder if someone like McElhenney uh, had, had had that same rise would we be seeing more interest about him yeah it would be interesting um, if it had happened I know Patrick McElhenney did declare for Northern Ireland at one point after Michael O'Neill took over and I'm Slightly surprised that Michael O'Neill never tried to get him to play for the for the senior team up there, but uh, he's now kind of re- recommitted his, I suppose his, um, you know, his his focus towards the Republic of Ireland again. Obviously, he's a, a Derry boy. He's, he's very much, um, you know, identifies with the Republic of Ireland. So, um, yeah, it, it it would have been interesting to see maybe if he had got international football uh, with Northern Ireland. But um, yeah, I suppose even even a, a relevant example to Eamon Zaid is uh, Eamon Ben-Mohammed, even that's the same name, Eamon Ben-Mohammed, um, who uh, 
uh, also has a Tunisian background and he he's now um, true international football he's playing you know in the Tunisian first league over there and by all accounts he's enjoying himself so um, it definitely does open opportunities and you know it's uh, it's interesting there's been other players linked I know Roberto Lopez a couple of years ago was linked to Cape Verde through his father so I don't know you, you never really know what's around the corner I suppose especially with uh, you know so many players have kind of uh, you know different nationalities it's uh, it's something that could definitely happen again especially as the maybe the league is a little bit more respected in international circles yeah and truly some unbelievable stuff in terms of um, some of the, the, the stories uh, he, he told in, in various Irish media outlets previously but also even talking there uh, these absolutely crazy scenes of um, during the revolt and, and, and players having to deal with that it's always mm. funny when it kind of comes down to that because I, I can't think of many um, levels over here where, where Irish uh, footballers may have had to deal with any, anywhere near uh, similar stuff I suppose the Battle of Oriel Park would be the, the <laughs> main one wouldn't it yeah look I'm sure there, there's, there's fantastic individual examples but I just mean it's such a global scale that it's yeah. up to a, a player to get involved is absolute madness uh, let's talk a little bit more about international football though because uh, Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane are sticking about we've got a couple more years of watching mm. that kind of uh, that kind of football. So depends what what <laughs> angle you're gonna. <laughs> depends come what angle. You're, yeah, de- well, de- depends what angle you're gonna come out th- uh, with this one. You can look at it like that, or you can look at that mm. great stability going forward. Which which are we gonna veer into? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of I'm conflicted myself. I I can see that what what a good job he's done in terms of where he's taking the club in the space, or the cl- club, the country mm. in the space of four years. Uh, I don't think probably any of us could have dreamed four years ago that we get to, you know, uh, the knockouts of Euro 2016 and be you know within what 70 minutes of of going into the World Cup so you know it has to be said that he has if not overachieved he certainly achieved more than what came before him Mm. and he's raised the expectations Uh, whether people still think those expectations are too low it's another story whether people like the football I don't think anybody does but it'll, it'll be interesting the next to see how it goes from now on having having openly courted another job yeah. having the whole situation with his contract not being signed I don't I think it's confusing for, for fans certainly in terms of knowing how, how committed he is and if you know a lot of people would have given him a lot of credit but even after the Denmark game in terms of where he brought the country a lot of people would have turned against him I think this will have turned many more fans against him yeah. and the thing I always worry about is with the FAI when the fans turn against the manager that's usually it for him mm. and I think the only thing I think Martin O'Neill will have an awful lot of work to do in, to build that relationship back up um, particularly uh, you know there's not, he's not going to have any competitive gains for another you know nine months or so so there's an awful lot of bridge building to do there what do you do next in this situation there, there's like do they offer him a new contract now you surely mm. do a rolling contract. I don't even know if that's a thing with countries. It is with yeah. clubs. Like, because you can't offer a new... As soon as this goes... As soon as the next campaign gets off to a bad start... Now, mind you, it is probably the year for him to sit around and do nothing. Um, but as soon as the, bad, the next campaign gets off to a poor start, this is absolutely used to beat him with. Yeah. It, it does no... For me, there's no good next step for this. It, yeah. it has to be seen as look we move on now because if the FAI do offer him a contract it goes poorly they get pelters if he mm. signs a new contract it goes poorly so basically the only thing to do is to, to rolling contract or guaranteed success and and you would say neither with the current squad or the current situation look all that attainable well reading through the lines of the information that came out from I presume from the O'Neill camp which came out in the Telegraph which had kind of the the inside scoop on everything that was going on um it seems that O'Neill, the main reason he turned down Stoke was because they didn't offer him a long enough deal. They were offering him till the end of the season. And it How was has Paul Lambert got that. two and a half years then? A desperation, I think. That's, you'd be fuming mm. if you're O'Neill. Yeah. You'd be absolutely fuming. But the thing is, in terms of his contract with Ireland, as far as I know, the FAI have been paying him since the conclusion of his last contract. So mm. he's basically on kind of a, a rolling contract. So... I, I don't know what the status of that is I don't know if they're obliged to offer him a contract I don't know if he's obliged to sign the contract now I I really don't know but it sounds like they're going to they're going to do some sort of deal hmm. over the next couple of days well, we'll have more chat on that just really quickly then before we finish up here 
I was looking down the sort of when when this was mooted a good while ago and down the list of sort of who'd replace him. It's a thin list. It's mm. a very, very thin list. And I think that's probably um, shown by the level of competition he had for the Stoke job. It's a yeah. thin list at that level. Um, and people I'd heard saying Chris Hewton, why on earth would Chris Hewton jump ships now? He's doing all right at Brighton. He's, he's probably in the pinnacle of his, pinnacle of his career so far. Yeah. So I don't see him jump a ship. Outside of that, you're talking Stephen Kenny, who I didn't, I don't see taking the job at this time. Um, I, don't, I don't see him being offered a job. No, I don't probably think, not, no. I, th- I think th- the way the FAI look at it, they want a big name. Dennis O'Brien wants a big name. Uh, a big name is kind of um, it's not necessarily what mm. what maybe the rest of us would consider a big name a big name to you know to the people picking the, picking the job be somebody recognisable from England well, uh, the likes of Mick McCarthy who I think would yeah, be a wonderful yeah, choice I, I, but apart from that you're down to the usual number of names from England people who don't have a job people who maybe you're getting the, you're getting the likes of Owen Coyle people, you know I mean? yeah people who haven't had success in England or in the UK for the past oh, few years so where, where Owen Coyle went managing in a couple of different countries and, and had no success there you're getting all these bizarre names realistically if, if this doesn't work out right now um, win O'Neill yeah. it, it surely gets offered to Keane straight away because it's the only one that fits that criteria mm. of name experience with the, the, the country and the team at that level at the moment and, and, and a further idea for a project Surely, yeah. there's there's no other um, no other people that mit- match the criteria. But look, we'll we'll get on to more when we know more because it's surely going to develop over the next yeah. couple of weeks. Thanks very much for listening in. Get in touch as I mentioned before on at et sportscast on the Twitter uh, at extra time news on Facebook or email us at extra time live at gmail.com Dave, thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks for I having will me. Speak deck. to you next week again. Weekly episodes going forward until the season gets underway. So look forward to that. Goodbye.